It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Well, Ephesians chapter 3. Again, we were walking through this section, and uh, we're, we're getting closer to the end. We had uh, two more studies after this one, uh, and we'll finish up chapter 3. Uh, but just for the sake of uh, reading through it, I want to read uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, down through verse 21. Paul writes this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Uh, look back at verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. Uh, we've been walking through this, and again, just for the sake of review, uh, Paul is saying, Would you allow Jesus to be the very center of your being? Uh, would you just let him be the very centrality of your life? Could, could the reality and the fullness of your life be Jesus? And as he walks through this, <clears throat> again, he's talking about this idea that would you take your life and would you be rooted and grounded in the person of Jesus, the one who is love itself? And in the midst of doing that, <clears throat> you will somehow be able to comprehend the incomprehensible, and somehow it is in the rapture and getting tight with Jesus that you're going to be able to understand him, the reality of love. I stumbled across this quote by the great preacher D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And listen to what he says. I thought this was such a great quote. He says, We need to be rooted and grounded in love in order to comprehend this love of God. Love alone recognizes love. Love alone understands love. Indeed, it is love alone that can receive love. This is a realm where intellect almost appears ridiculous. It is incompetent in this realm. In other words, you need, hey, if you're going to fully understand that which is indescribable, you are going to have to be rooted and grounded in the reality of that person, the one who is love itself. And then as he walks into verse 19, again he says, and my desire is that you would know, that you would experience, that you would gnosko, the love of Christ which surpasses the academic understanding of it. So it's not that the academic understanding is bad or it's evil. That's not, that's not true. But if all you have is an academic understanding of the love of Christ, what good is that in your life if you're not fully experiencing it and living it out? So Paul says, man, I just pray that you just get all wrapped up in this thing. And the whole goal of that, he says, is that you would be filled up to all the fullness of God, which we looked at last time. And what would it look like? I mean, could you imagine what your life would be if your life was filled up to all the fullness of God in your life? I want that. 
Uh, now Paul, in verse 20, 21, comes into what you could call a doxology. It's the benediction. It's the final climactic movement uh, of the whole chapter. Uh, in fact, even up to uh, this part of chapter 1 through 3, it's all leading up to this. He's given this final declaration. And again, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more all that we ask or Do you realize that God is able? And I know we nod our heads and we're like, yes, that's true. Amen. Learned that in Sunday school. But truly, do you understand that God is able? Uh, that word able, actually, it's the word dunamai, and it comes from that same idea of dunamis, that power word that shows up all over the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. Uh, that word able, that dunamai idea, is that here is this overwhelming resource of God. Oh, and he is able to do something with that. And that's this word. That he has this overwhelming resource. He is not limited. And therefore, because he has overwhelming power and he's not limited, therefore he is able. And that, again, that word able means to have power, to be capable, to be able to do something. It's that kind of an idea. As you come to scripture, isn't it phenomenal to think that God loves to stack the deck against himself? In other words, God loves impossibilities. We don't like impossibilities, but God seems to delight in it. Isn't that true? It's like we get into the middle of, an, of a situation that seems utterly impossible, and, and we tend to freak out. Uh, we get concerned. We, we walk in fear or worry or anxiety or whatever it may be, but it seems like God gets one of those cheeky little grins and just is like, mm-hmm, isn't this awesome? And we're like, no, no, it's not. But God loves impossibilities. In fact, it seems like over and over throughout Scripture, God purposely allows things to get to the point where it is almost one degree beyond impossible. For example, uh, you have this man who's promised a son. And you're like, well, that's not impossible. You're, you're correct, except he's now 100. And his wife is 90. And, you know, in a, in a normal sense, you would look at that and go, well, it seems like she's a little past her childbearing ages. I mean, he seems a little old for this thing. And yet, God smiles and goes, oh, I love this. And that which was impossible, God leveraged to showcase the phenomenal reality of his goodness, his grace, his grandeur, and his glory. It's like he, he's purposely using the impossibilities to showcase something. Uh, you, you have this group of Israelites stuck in a land called Egypt. And here they are. They've been slaves, and they've now been in, in the country for 400 years. How are they going to get out? Well, when you get into it, it's impossible. And so what does God do? He brings plague after plague after plague, and yet it seems like with each additional plague, the heart of Pharaoh gets harder. And by the time you get to the 10th one, you were at a point, if you didn't already know the story, where you would have to conclude that this is going to be impossible. And yet God breaks through. Uh, they leave Egypt and they, they, they head off into the, the wilderness, right? They, they get to this trap that it seems like God led them to. And you're like, God, they... What's going on? There's, there's mountains on two sides. There's a Red Sea in front of us. And there's an entire Egyptian army following us up the back. 
We are now trapped. We are in this little peninsula. There's nowhere to go. How are we going to escape? There's no option. This really is impossible. The only thing you'd have to conclude in that moment is that God is going to, or sorry, the Egyptians are going to come in and they're going to decimate and wipe out all the Israelites. But it's like God is smiling going, oh, I love this. And I am bringing this down to the 11th hour, the 59th minute, and at the last possible moment, God breaks through. Are you seeing the trend? Uh, Here's his entire Midian army. Right? It has over 100,000 people. And all right, we need, we need to uh, gather the uh, Israelite troops and we need to figure this thing out. And hey, we, we got to go against them. And uh, well, we don't, have, we don't have a lot of people, but at least we got some people. And God goes, no, you actually have far too many people. And if I was in the army, I'd been like, no, we don't have enough people. I counted, you know? And God says, hey, let's whittle this thing down. Now we're down to 300. And you're like, that's not good odds. And God goes, exactly. And God even tells Gideon why, why, why he was doing this. Why? So that when God broke through and worked in the middle of the impossibility, no one can claim credit except God himself. This is for his glory. Uh, here, here you have Elisha and his servant surrounded by the entire Syrian army. And the servant runs into Elisha and says, Alas, master, what shall we do? And El- Elisha says, well, it's okay, because there's more of us than with them. No, there's not. I mean, I went to public school, but I can count. There's only two of them. And you have an entire Syrian army. And yet, there's horses and chariots of fire around about the mountains. Do you, do you realize that God loves impossibilities? Uh, here is this massive walled city called Jericho. It had a double wall. The height of one of the walls was 50 feet tall. Hey, they, they've, been, they've been in the wilderness for 40 years. They don't have military experience. And what does God call them to do? Let's walk around the city for seven days. And the entire seven days they're walking around, what, what, is, what is being proved? This is an impossibility. So you're going to have to trust. You're going to have to walk in faith. But when God brings the walls down, what is declared? God is able. Are you getting this? And as you keep walking through over and over and over and over and over again throughout Scripture, what you see is that God loves impossibilities. He loves bringing things down to the moment where things are just really intense. By the way, that makes a good movie or a good storyline, or a good fiction story, or a good biography, right? If, if, if the biography was, well, yeah, so-and-so, they lived a happy life, and then they died. You'd be like, well, that was, that's wonderful, right? We love the adventure stories where things are crazy, and things are just intense, and the bombs are exploding, and there's no good options, and then whoa, something breaks through. Those make the best stories, don't they? And it's like God wrote that into us. And God just has this cheeky smile whenever there's an impossibility. He's like, "Uh uh-huh, I know. This is awesome. Now, again, we don't like those, but God seems to delight in it. Why? Because he is able. Uh, Have you ever read uh, God's Smuggler? It's the the story of uh, Brother Andrew. Love, it's one of my favorite biographies. And God's Smuggler, there's this great scene. There's all these great impossible moments in Brother Andrew's life. But one of my favorites is he's smuggling a bunch of Bibles into 
one of the Iron Curtain countries back in the, uh, you know, like the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, that area. And uh, his whole car is full of Bibles. If he gets caught, he's going to be sentenced to prison and potentially killed. And he had so many Bibles, he couldn't just hide them all. You know, it's like, he just, like they're under a blanket, kind of an idea. In other words, if he gets stopped and they open up the car, they will find the Bibles. And so he pulls up to the country, uh, what do they call that? The border. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I should know that term right now. Uh, if they even exist. Anyway, uh, settle down, settle down. Uh, so so he, he pulls up to the border. Sorry, that was really bad. Uh, he pulls up to this border of this communist country of the Iron Curtain. And he notices that uh, there's, there's a line of cars. And so he's waiting. And of course, they're checking the cars. And he notices that the car that was at the front, he's like, man, they must have had something wrong because they are taking everything out of the car. They're tearing the car apart and they're searching the car. He's like, well, that's, that's not good. He's like, but you know, maybe, they're, maybe they're, they saw something in that car. And so you know, he's praying. And of course, the, the great prayer of the smugglers, the Bible smugglers, was, you know, Lord, you made blind eyes see. Could you make seeing eyes blind? And there's all these stories where it's like he had these Bibles sitting out and the, the police just could not see them. And so he's like, Lord, you've done this in the past. Would you, would you take care of me? I, I trust you. And so they move up and the next vehicle goes and he notices it's not that they found something in that earlier car. It's that they are strip searching every single vehicle that's coming across. And he realizes there's just one more car in front of him and then it's his car. And he just goes, God, if, if they, they don't even have to strip search this car. They just need to open up the trunk and they would find all of this religious material, all these Bibles that I'm smuggling in for your people. But Lord, I trust you and I trust that you are able. And I should just stop the story and let you read it because it would be, it is one of those stories that is just golden. But since you don't have the book in front of you, the, the brief version of it is, it's finally his turn. So they, they strip search the car right in front of him and he just goes, Lord, I'm in your hands. May your will be done. And the, the border crossing guard person starts waving him forward and uh, he pulls up and he keeps moving the hand up. So he's like, okay, well maybe, maybe they, they want to start speeding things up because they're getting a long line. So maybe they're going to do two cars at a time. And so he, he keeps kind of driving up slowly, you know, to get beyond. And so he goes beyond the crossing, the police guy, and the police brings up the next car and stops that car. But no one has stopped him yet. So he just keeps on rolling. <laughs> and he's looking at the rearview mirror. He's like, well, they're going to pull me and stop me. And he just keeps rolling. And they bring out that guy behind him and starts strip searching his car. And so as he goes around the corner, he slams on the accelerator and flies out of there. <laughs> and he just goes, praise the Lord. And he just, and you, you read those kind of stories. That's not just Bible stuff, folks. That's God still, God is still in the operation. God still delights in doing the impossible. Do you read, and of course, you know, there's a bunch of people here who read the uh, Corey Tim Boom Tramp for the Lord book. You read Tramp for the Lord, and you have this Corey Tim Boom story where she, you know, after the communist, you know, once, she's, once she was in the uh, concentration camp stuff, she had this incredible ministry, and these, it's like miracle after miracle after miracle is taking place in her life. 
Why? Because she believed that God was able. Do you believe that God is able? And I know that we in the church, you know, we nod our heads. We're like, yes, he is able. Amen. But do you actually believe that he is able? Do you believe that he is able in your life? Do you, do you believe that he is sufficient for this generation? You look at all the stuff that is happening in, in North America. I'll include Canada since there's Canadians in here. Right? We look at what's happening in North America and around the world, and we're just like, boy, things are getting crazy. And whatever you want to do with all this craziness and all the politics and all the economy and all the finance and, and all the COVID and all the whatever stuff that's going on, you realize it is really easy to fret and worry and despair, which means you actually do not think God is able. You've actually shrunk your God down, and your God is now small rather than seeing him as he is, which is beyond seeing him as massive, seeing that he is actually able, seeing that he delights in impossibilities. So when we look at our current state of affairs and you're like, this seems rather impossible. How would this ever turn? Why don't we keep our gaze on the Lord and say, do you realize who our God is? Our God is able. And if I'm in the middle of an impossible situation, I should rejoice and celebrate. Why? Because God is able and he loves impossibilities. So give me one scenario, give me one situation where he's not able and you won't be able to come up with one because he's always able. Isn't that phenomenal news? I wish you would tell your faces. <laughs> now look at what Paul says in verse 20. Now to him who is able... Well, what is he able to do? He's able to do, get this, far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. The word there for ask has this idea to ask, to beg, to call for, to crave, to desire, or to require. And the word think means to perceive with a mind, to understand, to think upon, uh, to consider, or to wrap one's mind around something. So here's the idea. Paul says, our God is able. Well, what is he able to do? Come up with your best case scenario. I mean, just go crazy in your thinking of what could God do in this situation? What could God do in this scenario? Just what could God do? Give me your best thought. And he can go beyond that. Isn't that awesome? It's not that, <laughs> it's not that just God is able he is able well he loves impossibilities he does love impossibilities but he is able to take your best case scenario and so go beyond it so now look at the passage again verse 20 now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think or imagine uh, my translation says far more abundantly beyond. Uh, some say exceedingly abundantly beyond. Uh, it's interesting, that phrase, far more abundantly beyond, it is two Greek words. And you got to get a hold of this. This is so phenomenal. The word that's translated beyond in the passage. So you have the exceedingly abundantly idea or far more abundantly, and then you have the word beyond. 
The word beyond means beyond. It's a good translation. <laughs> but it means like over, right? It means beyond. It means like you throw something and then you throw something beyond that one. I mean, that's, that's the idea, right? It means beyond. Everyone get that one. All right, that's, that's the second word. Now, when you look at the first word, exceedingly abundantly or far more abundantly, that one word is actually three Greek words shoved together. Make sense? So you have two words in the passage. The second word is beyond. Then the first word is actually three Greek words shoved together. Okay, you ready for this? The first word of the three words that are shoved together of the first word, you tracking this so far? That first word of the, of the three is the exact same word as that second word. It means beyond. It's the word beyond. So you have beyond, beyond. Starting to see an emphasis here? So that's the first word. The second word of the three words means beyond, but it's a different word. And it has this idea of going beyond. So it, there's beyond, which is the same word as that word, the second one. But the second word here is a different Greek word, but it means beyond. So you have beyond, beyond. Another word, beyond. Still tracking? Okay, the third word in this little cluster, the third word, entirely different word. Do you know what it means? Let me tell you what it means. It means, get this, exceeding, more than necessary, super added, supremely, abundantly, much more than all, superior, extraordinary, surpassing, uncommon, more remarkable, more excellent, preeminent, superior, or advantage. That's, that's, what, that's how you can understand that word. That's how it can be translated. Uh, that, that little third word, third word, that word only shows up 10 times in the New Testament. And let me just give you two of them because I think it'll help us understand what, what's going on here. In Mark chapter 6, verse 51, that, that third word is being used, that super added, the supremely, the over-the-top, the preeminent, the exceeding, more than necessary word. And uh, this is what it says. It says that Jesus went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased, right? All right, there's a big windstorm, right? The whole craziness going on uh, on the Sea of Galilee. He gets in the boat and the wind ceases. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure. That's the word. And they marveled. So they, so think about this. Here's this crazy storm on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is walking on the waves, gets up in the boat, the wind ceases, everything settles down, and their mouths burst open in a Whoa! And what happened? They were beyond amazed. I mean, they weren't just marveling. They were like, my mind's about to explode. That's the word. Okay, if you don't like that one, let me give you this one. Uh, John 10, 10. You know this verse. John 10, 10. Jesus says, the thief only comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come, says Jesus, 
that they may have life and that they would have it yeah, more abundantly. Do you know what kind of life you're given in Jesus? You don't just get life. Do you know what kind of life you get in Jesus? You get a life that is exceeding, more than necessary, super added, supremely abundant, much more than all, superior, extraordinary, surpassing, uncommon, more remarkable, more excellent, preeminent, superior, and advantage. That's the kind of life you get in Jesus. Whoa. Isn't that awesome? So come back into our passage. Paul says, now, our God is able. Amen. He loves the possibilities. But what is he able to do? He says, well, take your best case scenario. Give me your best thought. Hey, just imagine what you, what you could imagine God to do. And do you realize that your best case scenario, whatever you can imagine God doing, God can go beyond, beyond, over and above, and beyond that. Don't you think he's trying to tell us something? That this isn't just like, well, God might be able to help you. Yeah, you might have that one problem that God can't handle. You know that one scenario? You know that one situation? You know that one family member? You know your bank account? You, you realize that that, yeah, I'm not sure God's going to be able to handle that one. What are you talking about? Do you realize that God is able? He's able, folks. He's able to go beyond, beyond, over and above, and beyond all that you could ask or imagine. If that was actually true, which it is, but if that was actually true and we actually believed it, why do we live as if God is so small? Why, why do we actually put more faith in the power of the enemy than we do in the strength of our God? Why is it when temptation affronts us, it's like we turn to God and just start saying, God, I, I don't know if you're able to handle this. God, I, I'm not so sure, but could you maybe do something, maybe potentially in this situation? What are you actually saying? That your God is small and your problems are big. See, what if you would flip that around? See, and I've said this so many times, but what, what would happen if you quit telling God how big your problems are and you would start to tell your problems how big your God is? Because your problems in light of God are winkadink. God is not intimidated with your problems. God is not trembling with your issues. God is not looking at what you're having to face today going, oh no, good luck. And I don't even believe in luck, but good luck. God's not doing that. What is he doing? He's saying, I can do this. I can handle this. I'm able. So I mean, so take your best case scenario and whether he does that or doesn't do that, you realize that's not the issue. The issue is, will you place your faith and trust in the one who is able? And you realize that he is going to do that which brings him the most glory. Maybe he heal, he'll heal someone. Maybe he won't heal someone. But he will bring about his glory. So will you trust him? But you've got to understand that he is able. That there is no situation, there is no finance, there is no family, there, there is no crisis, there is no politic, there is no president or prime minister. Hey, there is no financial crisis, there is nothing so big where God cannot break through. There is no virus big enough for God not to handle. Praise the Lord. And if we actually believe that, why would we fear? 
Why would we walk in anxiety? Why, why would we tremble? Why, why would we live in defeat? Why would we keep being succumbing to temptation? Why would we, could you imagine what it would mean if you lived every moment of your life fully dependent upon the God who is able? That would change everything. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't that change how I handle temptation? Wouldn't that just change how I handle crisis? Wouldn't that change how I looked at my bank account? Wouldn't that change the priorities of my life? I mean, wouldn't that change how I, how I invested my energy? Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't that change how I spent my free time? I mean, wouldn't that just change how I handled? And when, hey, when I get the flat tires of life or when that one person comes up to me that just sucks the life out of me, oh, and you just groan when they come up to you and you know who I'm talking about because you have these people in your life. If you don't have the people in your life, you're that person. So, <laughs> so you need to find someone in your life that has something, you know, like. <laughs> but hey, when those people come up to you, what, what if you didn't have to, what if you could rest? What if you could walk in triumph? What if you could actually live the life of a Christian because your life was putting your trust and faith in the God who is able? Uh, we're not going to do this, but if you read Hebrews right, chapter 11 and you read through the, the faith chapter of, of here are these men and women who live by faith, do you realize they were not extraordinary men and women? They were normal, just like you and I. In fact, they were at a disadvantage because you have the advantage of having the indwelling life of Christ within you. They didn't have that. And yet here are these demonstrations of faith Men and women who kept their gaze upon the Lord and says, I don't care what the circumstances look like. My God is able. Now, if they could do that without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, how much more should we in this hour live by faith in the God who is able? See, we as believers should look at the most impossible situations have a smile on our face and say, give me that one. Give me that impossibility. Uh, I, I didn't write it down, but uh, C.T. Studd has that great quote. He's, and I'm, I'm having to paraphrase this, but he said, if you come up to me and say that there's a lion on that path, I would look back at you and be like, what? Just a lion? I don't even think that's worth my while to go. If you would add a couple bears, maybe I'll consider it. And, and what is C.T. said getting at? He's saying, when we look at a lion in the way, most of the time that would intimidate the average person. But we are Christians and our God is able. So when we see an impossibility, shouldn't we be like, that's it? That's the impossibility? Well, let's add a few more impossibilities to it and then I will show you what my God can do. Wouldn't it be neat to live that way? Wouldn't that be neat to live not just in the crises of life, not just when the world shuts down, wouldn't it be neat to live that way every moment of every single day for the rest of your life and you were actually a believer? You actually believed in the one who is able? That you put your faith and your trust in the God who is able? Well, what is he able to do? Take your best case scenario. I mean, go crazy with the wildest thought you have. And realize that God is able to go beyond, beyond, over and above, and beyond 
that. That is our God. Praise the Lord. Could I exhort you? We need to quit esteeming that reality and we need to start living that reality. Because what this generation does not need is more people in the church who nod along and know the words and know when to stand up and know when to sit down and know all the terminology, but is not living it. And personally, I am tired of nodding my head and going, amen, amen, that's right, my God is able. But then not showcasing that. See, I want my life to be a demonstration of the overwhelming ability of God. George Mueller says, God, I will volunteer to be the man for my generation to show that faith still works. I won't ask for a penny. And yet I will prove the fact that you will always provide. We need that in this generation. Not just money stuff, just with life. People who are walking in victory and triumph over sin. People who, doesn't matter what is going on, live in peace and joy. People who will look at the impossible situations and look at the impossible people groups and say, all right, I realize that if I go to North Korea as a missionary, I'll probably be killed. So it seems rather impossible. <laughs> Send me there. Don't give me the easy assignments. I want the difficulty. We need Christians for this hour. Would you be one? And would you put your faith and your trust in the God who was able to go beyond, beyond, over and above, and beyond all that you could ask or imagine? Uh, Jesus, we need that. Simply, we just need you. Lord, you are able. And I know that we in this room understand that idea that, we, we, hey, we nod along, we say yes, amen, he's able. But Lord, rather than nodding our head in agreement, Lord, we want our lives to reflect that reality. Lord, would you prove, prove that in our lives when it comes to the crises, when it comes to the difficulties, when it comes to the temptations, when it comes to the practical living out the impossible Christian life. Lord, when this world looks at us, may they not see us, may they see the working of you in and through us. Lord, what would it look like if in every situation, in every trial, in every circumstance, in, in every problem, in, in every sickness, in, in every calling, in every family, in every bank account, in, in every temptation, what would it look like if we lived with such an audacious faith knowing that you are able, not just able, but you are able to go beyond, beyond, over and above and beyond all that we could ask or imagine. And Lord, it's not that you're going to do that which we can think. We, we understand that our best case scenario may not be what you're doing, but Lord, you are able to go far beyond that. And so Lord, could you turn our gaze heavenward? Would you not merely let us esteem the truth, but would you let this truth explode through our living so that this world once again sees you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, sitting upon the throne and living your life through me. Lord, can we be vessels through which your overwhelming power and ableness is able to be seen? Lord, this world needs you desperately. 
And Lord, as I look at the culture and as I look at the politics and as I look at the, the things going on, Lord, it just seems like such an impossibility. And yet you are able, even in this, and all that we're walking through, this, is, this has not taken you by surprise. You are not intimidated. You are not trembling. You are smirking. In fact, as Psalm 2 says, even when all of your enemies gather together and and set themselves against you, you sit in the heavens and laugh. That you just keep this cheeky smile going, all right, do your best, good luck. But Lord, you're the one who is able. So Lord, could we live in that reality? And may the stories of old become the stories of today because you showcase yourself as the God who is able to go beyond, beyond, over and above and beyond all that we could ask or imagine. Lord, what a phenomenal reality. And Lord, I don't know about anybody else, but I just, I just want to worship this morning. Lord, I, I just want something to bubble up from within me. And as I just gaze at your face, the God who is able, Lord, I, I want to sing your praises. I just want to delight myself in you. I, I just want to say, wow, you are so good. And you are so faithful and you're so full of mercy and loving kindness. So Lord, don't let us just sing lyrics this morning. Oh, may we come and may we worship for you are worthy. We love you, Jesus. Just give you all the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.